Welcome to the Rock Christian Church Podcast. Today's message is The Lord of Hosts by Pastor Sean Wood. Father, I ask right now that we would have the gift of sight. To see the Almighty. May you open our eyes and our hearts as we open your word in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. If you get your Bibles, uh, we're going to begin in Malachi chapter 2, and then we'll make our way to a couple of other places this morning. But uh, I don't know if anybody else likes Antiques Roadshow. Does anybody else watch the Antiques Roadshow? I don't mind it. Uh, I don't mind the Antiques Roadshow. Yeah, it's a good, good show. Uh, another show I don't mind is a show called American Pickers. Uh, these guys, uh, they, they go around to old people's sheds, and they walk into shed after shed full of trash. It's my mother-in-law's dream uh, <laughs> to be able to walk into these places, but they can walk into sheds filled with trash, but they find treasure, don't they? And these guys at the Antiques Roadshow, they bring something that their great-great-grandmother used to hang in the bathroom somewhere, and they bring it and they go, we don't know what this is or what it's worth. And then the person that from the Antiques Roadshow that looks at it, they, they describe how it's not a vase, it's a vase. Well, excuse us, right? Uh, and then they begin to, uh, you just think it's something someone got from chicken feed a couple of years ago, but turns out it was an 18th century uh, kind of thing that somebody, and they know the artist and the value increases and increases. And, and the difference between the guys that are the American pickers, the difference between the guys on the Antiques Roadshow, between everybody else, is they are able to see yeah. what we can't see. And that changes everything. Before I go any further this morning, uh, I've got some really good news this morning, but I want to be clear. We all struggle in many different ways and we all want more of the Lord. We have, we have doubts, we have fears. Uh, maybe we're struggling in health. Maybe we're struggling with addictions. Maybe you're struggling in relationships. I want you to know today that the number one thing you need isn't an array of other things. Maybe you need some other things as well, but the number one thing we all need is to be able to see his glory. Friends, can I tell you one glimpse? One glimpse of the sight of Christ and everything will melt away. Chains will melt away. Sicknesses will be dissolved. Fears and doubts are dissolved. And today I want to introduce you to a term called the Lord of Hosts, but what does that apply to the Israelites at this time? If you've been journeying with us through the book of Malachi, last week was a heavy week. Uh, (laughs) Last week was a heavy week, but this week is heavy in some respects as well, but uh, what we see uh, is that uh, the the overarching message of of Malachi is return to the Lord. That's the overarching message. He comes at a time, if you are reading Bible history, around about the time of Ezra and Nehemiah. The, uh, the Israelites are back in the land. They've been there for almost 100 years. The temple's rebuilt. The walls are rebuilt. Uh, but their hearts are far from God. They have, a, they have a skepticism concerning God and his promises. And they look back on their time in exile. They doubt his power. God, it seems, is a million miles away. Uh, The interesting thing is the the same that applies to Israel in Malachi's day applies today. You see, God was no less glorious uh, in Malachi's day. God hadn't lost his glory. God hadn't stepped off the throne. They had just failed to see. 
And that was the cause of a thousand ills on the surface. I was reminded, uh, a joke that I love, I was reminded of recently. Uh, for the golfers in the room, there's three pastors out playing golf, wonderful round of golf, everybody had a pretty good game. And they come to the locker rooms after the game. And uh, there seems to be, a, from the rich fellowship, there seems to be an atmosphere of... Uh, uh, just this repentance that's come about them. And they decide that uh, as they're in the locker rooms, uh, the first pastor turns to the others and says, look, I just feel I've got to bear my soul and bear my heart. I've really been struggling with alcohol. And uh, the, uh, they work through that for a little while. And then the second guy goes, well, you know what? Um, I've really been struggling with some stuff that I've been looking at on the internet. And, and it's really starting to, to, to play havoc in my relationships and in my personal life. And nobody else knows about it. And, and then they turn to the third guy. And there's silence. And after a while they go, is there anything that, are you better than us? Is there nothing? Oh no, he says, you don't seem to understand. He says, I'm a raging gossip and I can't wait to get out of here. <laughs> <laughs> but but what, that, what that might highlight is, we all struggle, friends. We all have areas that we struggle. The moral of the story is don't play golf. Uh, <laughs> and if you're going to play golf, don't play with pastors. But we all struggle. But our number one need is to see. Let's, let's unpack what's going on here in Malachi chapter 2, verse 1. It says, And now, O priest, this command is for you. And, and today we're very quick. Maybe we, maybe we say, you know what, chapter 2 and the priest, that doesn't apply to us. This was for those that were leaders. And there is absolutely some wonderful application for leaders today. But what we see, a hallmark, what we see here is, as the priest goes, so the people go. Uh, under the old covenant, a couple of things to note is that the, the task of the priest was to speak to God on behalf of men. That was the task of the priest. Uh, the task of the prophet was to speak to men on behalf of God. And today, uh, those are combined. Uh, you'll be pleased to know. And to you, O priest, this command is for you, and we are all priests. First uh, Peter says that we are a holy nation. A bit more about that word holy as we work our way through, but we are a holy nation. We are a royal priesthood. Uh, you are royalty this morning, uh, not because of anything inside of you, but because who you belong to this morning. Uh, you are royalty. You are a royal priesthood. Everything we read concerning the priests applies to us today. And now, O priest, this command is for you. If you will not listen, if you will not take it to heart to give honour to my name, says the Lord, of hosts. That's, a, that's an interesting term. Uh, throughout the Old Testament, we come across the term, the Lord of hosts, 235 times. It's a wonderful term. It talks about the Lord of heaven's armies. That's, that's one translation. It could be the king in the fullness of his glory. But God wants the priests to know something. You have lost sight of something that's very important uh, because he repeats it three times. Whenever in Scripture, you're reading something and God keeps repeating himself. He's trying to make a point. It's really important. If you read these first verses of chapter 2, he uses the term the Lord of hosts three times. He wants us to know that he is still the great God. He wants us to know that he is still the king in the fullness of all of his glory. He wants the priest to know and he wants you to know that what this means and what it meant for Hannah, which is the first place we read this in the book of Samuel, what it meant for them is that it is the God of all power that comes to the aid of his children. 
Uh, what I love about the story of Hannah, and there are principles for interpreting scripture. Uh, that's why we don't just decide what scripture means, whatever we want it to mean. There are principles that guide us. One of those principles is to understand a term or a word, you go to the place of first mention. And here we see Hannah, who is barren, wanting and praying for a child for, for many years. But before God gives her a child, she calls him the Lord of hosts. You are the great God. You are the great king. That doesn't change. Do you know if God never answers your prayers, he's still great? Do you know if God doesn't do things exactly the way you want him to and how you want him to, he's still great. And he's still glorious. He's the Lord of hosts. It wasn't always like this. What we see in Israel at the time of Malachi, it was not always like that. Let's go on and see what God has to say. Then I will send the curse upon you and I will curse your blessings. Indeed, I already have cursed them because you do not lay it to heart. Behold, I will rebuke your offspring and spread dung on your faces. Good morning. Uh, (laughs) The dung of your offspring and you shall be taken away with it. So shall you know that I have sent this command to you, that my covenant with Levi. Uh, The covenant with Levi, there doesn't seem to be any biblical evidence of a specific covenant specifically with Levi, but he comes under the banner of the Mosaic. Covenant. There were promises, there were commands amongst the Levites. They were, the tribe of Levi was the priests. And this never used to be this way all the time. It never be, never used to be this half-hearted approach to God. There never used to be this weariness about serving God. It was the Levites, it was the Levites who decided to purge the evil from amongst Israel after the golden calf incident. It was them that volunteered and said, we will purge the They held God in a very very high place. When they go into the promised land, every tribe of Israel is given ground, soil that they can put in their hands and say, this is our land. But God says to the Levites and to the priests, I will be your inheritance. That's us today. The greatest call to the church of Jesus Christ is stop staking your claim on terra firma and grab hold of our inheritance. This is the covenant I had with Levi, says the Lord of hosts. My covenant with him was one of life and peace, and I gave them to him. It was a covenant of fear. It never used to always be this way. He feared me, says the Lord, and he stood in awe of my name. Wow. In, in A.W. Tozer's fantastic book of Knowledge of the Holy, uh, if you have not read A.W. Tozer's book of Knowledge of the Holy, it's actually, there's an exam on that book in heaven, I think, when you get there, so you're going to have to read it now. But, but in there, uh, he, he speaks about the fact that the number one ill in the church today is we have surrendered our once lofty concept of God. A man that writes in the 50s and the 60s is saying, you know what, everybody has surrendered their once lofty concept of God, and that is at the base and at the foundation of a thousand ills that we see because we no longer stand in awe of his name. It wasn't always the case for Levi. It wasn't always the case for Israel. There was a time, and have a listen to that time. Have a listen to what the flow-on effects were. Have a listen to what happens when we get this right. Uh, when we get this right, it says the true instruction was on his lips and no wrong was found on his lips. He walked with me in peace. Wow. And uprightness, and he turned many from iniquity. And what we see is that 
the Lord of hosts, the great God, has come to reclaim his place. And my prayer, I, I want you to know, when I, I, I pray almost the same prayer. I could pray one prayer, yeah. and it covers so many things. It sounds a little bit like this. Whether I'm praying for the lost people in this community or whether I'm praying for the wonderful brothers and sisters in this family, it's the one prayer that you would see God. I'm not talking with your physical eyes and I want to take you on a journey this morning, just briefly take you on a journey of a number of people that did. And what that looked like and what that meant for them. We stand at a time and uh, it's becoming more and more important that there is a dividing line between those that will stand for God and stand for his truth. And those that are half-hearted. And often what divides and separates is where we choose to stand is what we see. This morning I want to take you on a journey with just a handful of people. We're going to touch briefly and we're going to have a look at some glorious language. And I, what, here's what my prayer is. My prayer is that starting today but moving forward that your heart would see more of God. That the revelation of his glory and his greatness and his power, you see, the problem today isn't that God is any less great. And we will get there later, but so many people say to me today, you know what's needed in the church? We just need to see more miracles. We just need to see people raised from the dead. And, he, and I'd love to see all of those things. But if you read the gospel accounts, people were astonished. People were amazed. People beheld uh, when there were miracles. But those that saw the man, saw Jesus, were transformed. You can write these scriptures down. We're going to move reasonably quickly today, but Isaiah chapter 6. What brings us to Isaiah chapter 6 and who is this weird little dude? Isaiah is a prophet from the Old Testament who prophesies around about the 8th century BC. He prophesies predominantly to the northern tribes of Israel, the 10 northern tribes of Israel, before they are to go into exile in Assyria. That happens about 722 BC. But we reach a point here in chapter 6 where they're right on the brink of being plunged into darkness. Israel right now is about to be plunged into darkness and into very dark times. But before that happens, he sends a man. And a couple of things to note about Isaiah. Why did I pick Isaiah? Because if you were in Israel at the time of Isaiah and you said, show me a righteous man, you would have gone to Isaiah. He was just a righteous man. He seemed to have it all together. He seemed as though his whole life was together. Everything was going okay. Actually, what we do know and what we can understand about him from Scripture is that he either descended from royal lineage or he was from a a very aristocratic family because what we see when he prophesies is he has free access before the kings. It's like he's well known to the royal dignitaries of the time. Either that or he has a prominent place and his family does. Uh, his dad, who is Amos with a Z, is not the prophet Amos. He's, we don't know a whole lot about his family. We just know that he must have been prestigious. Like he's got it all together. But have a listen to what happens. He says that in the year King Uzziah died. And that's, that's really important for the backdrop of what happens to Isaiah. In the, key, in the year that King Uzziah died, a king that reigned for 52 years. Uzziah reigns for 52 years. He's one of the few rare good 
kings of Israel. Spends his last 15 years, he, he takes it upon himself to walk into the tabernacle and, and plays up a little bit and he spends the last 15 years with leprosy. But he was a good king. And why this is important is after he dies, Israel plunges into darkness. The, the leaders that come after Uzziah are not great at all. And before all of that happens, and against the backdrop of all that calamity, he ever listened to what happens to Uzziah. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord. <sighs> Sitting upon the throne. The Old Testament, uh, we find places that we would call theophanies, where people see God. They happen throughout the Old Testament. This is a theophany, but to be more particular, this is a Christophany. This is Christ. This is Jesus. Have a listen to the description. I saw the Lord sitting upon the throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Why is that important? Because in ancient times, the dignity assigned to a monarch was, a, was resembled in the train of their robe. Here's what Isaiah says. So dignified, so holy, so great is this king that his train fills the entire temple. Wow. Don't forget that Isaiah was a man that seemingly had it all together. He filled the temple above him, stood the seraphim. Each had six wings, six wings, uh, six wings, two that covered their feet, two that they used to fly, and two that covered their eyes from the glory of God that was before them because they were forever before the throne. Friends, I, I want you to grab one thing this morning. If anyone tells you I've seen the Lord and it sounds like I went down the shop and got a loaf of bread, possibly question that. Have a listen to what Isaiah sees. How can you be the same person after you see these things. I saw the seraphim, each had six wings, uh, with two that covered his face, with two that covered his feet, and two that flew. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. Uh, interesting, if you read the language that Isaiah uses here, if you read the language that Ezekiel uses in the first chapters of Ezekiel, if you read the language that you find in the book of Revelation, you find these guys are all seeing exactly the same thing. Yep. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. May the earth, uh, the whole earth is full of his glory, or may, or the whole earth, may his glory fill the whole Holy, holy, holy. And what did he say? And the foundations of the thresholds shook at the voice of him who called and the house was filled with smoke. What does Isaiah say? What is Isaiah's response? He says, woe is me. You see in the Old Testament, an oracle that would come from the prophet would come in two forms and it would start with two different words. The first one was if the prophet was coming to announce blessing or prosperity, it would start with blessing. It would start with blessed. The prophet the number one prophet of all time, Jesus, uh, his Sermon on the Mount, he begins with words like this, blessed are the poor in spirit. There was an announcement. But if a prophet was coming to announce destruction, tragedy or judgment, he would begin with the words, woe. Uh, when you get into the book of Revelation and you read the three woes, and there's more, but if you read about the woes, it is speaking about all of this coming upon. But what does Isaiah say? This isn't woe upon Israel. This is and woe upon the earth. This is woe is me. Wow. Woe is me. 
For I am lost or I am undone. Just like when you get home from the gym and you undo your Nike shoes, just completely undone. Unraveled. For I am a man of unclean lips and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. Isn't that interesting? The more you see God's holiness, the more you see your sin. The more you realise... He is holy, 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 and I am unworthy. For my li- I'm a man, of un- I dwell amongst a people of unclean lips, for my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. And so if you read on, the seraphim takes a coal from the altar. He uses tongs. He takes coal from the altar, touches his lips, and takes away his sin. I love how God doesn't say, oh, it's all right, Isaiah, no dramas, mate, come on in, it's all good. We'll, we'll, we'll just sweep it under the rug. No, what God says is, you can stand in my presence because I will take away your sin. Jesus has done that for every person in this room today. It doesn't matter. You might be sitting here saying, you know what, I'm new to this whole Christianity thing. I'm, I'm just kind of exploring. I pray that you would see Jesus. You might say, well, I've been following Jesus for 25 years and I couldn't think that anybody in this room would be over 25, but I've been following Jesus for 25 years. The greatest need we have is to see Jesus. Because what happens for Isaiah is God calls him to go and speak to the people. Then he tells them, none of them are going to listen. You're going to go and speak to these people. Their hearts are going to become hard. No one's going to be listened. First, uh, first thing Isaiah says is, will anybody go? And Isaiah goes, here am I, send me. And then God says, well, you're going to spend a number of years preaching and, and proclaiming my word, but no one's going to listen and they're all going to hate you. And then he goes, how long? How long? You know what? Uh, Isaiah was possibly at best... He was an aristocratic, royal dignitary kind of guy, had it all together, well-to-do kind of guy. He says, I'm going to leave all of that. You see one glimpse of Christ, you will forget the things of this world. Amen. There was another man. I like this guy because he's got a lot to teach many of us today, particularly in the New Testament. A guy by the name of Job, not Job, so uh, millennials, settle down. It's Job, not Job. Uh, and... Uh, what happens in the book of Job, most of us already know what happens. Here's a guy that suffers tremendously. That's the backdrop that brings us to where we're going to end up today. Here's a guy that suffers tremendously. And if that wasn't bad enough, three of his mates come along and they didn't have really good advice for him. They say to him, you know what, Job, it's obvious you have sinned. What we learn about Job is that he's a blameless and upright man. He's a man that seems to have it all together. There was none that was richer than Job. He seems to have it all together. He's a good guy. Uh, but they come along and say, well, you must have sinned. And so then we go on this journey of them trying to tell God why he's just or unjust. They they go through these valleys of of exploring their own lives. Job goes from one minute of saying, woe is me, I wish I'd never been born to my redeemer lives. Talk about a roller coaster ride. You can't even get this at Movie World on the Gold Coast. It's an up and down kind of a ride. But these guys think they've got everything worked out. These guys think we've got God into a pigeonhole. We know God. We know how he works, God does our bidding and then God speaks for 37 chapters these guys have got plenty to say but when God speaks they all shut their pie hole It says here in chapter 38, then the Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind. And the best way to describe that whirlwind is to understand a tornado. It's like Job is sitting in the middle of a tornado. This isn't a gust of breeze that comes past. This is a tremendous visitation. 
Here's what God says to Job. Uh, the Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind and he said, who, who is this that darkens counsel by words without knowledge, dress for action or gird your loins? In other words, if you're in ancient times, it's kind of like tie your dress up, but that's a, that's a message for another day. I will question you and you make it known to me. Where were you? Where were you when I laid the foundation? Where were you when I formed the mountains? Where were you when I set the parameters of the oceans? Let me tell you, friends, God asked Job 69 questions that we can answer today scientifically, maybe 19. Here's what Job says. Love this. Powerful, powerful chapter. Job says, chapter 42, he says, I know that you can do all things and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. Who is this that hides counsel without knowledge? Therefore, I have uttered what I did not understand. Sometimes when we come into prayer, the most profound prayers we speak are when we go, nothing. Things too wonderful for me, which I did not know. Wow. Here and I will speak, I will question you and make it known to me. I had heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eye sees you. Something happened inside of Job, something very transformational. He doesn't speak about his suffering anymore. God restores him, yes, to more than what he had before. But Job says, I spoke when I shouldn't have done. I spoke about things I don't understand and I should have kept silent. But when one man sees God, all that of This morning I want to finish with a with a few men. I was, I was reading this passage in Mark. It's interesting, you know, when, when we meet people for the first time, and we're going to finish in Mark chapter 4 this morning. When we meet people for the first time, we probably don't know that we do this, but we seem to put people in categories, don't we? You know, we kind of... We, we, when we first meet people, we go, nice, unnice, friend, foe... Queenslander, New South Welshman, Kiwi, Tasmanian, the real special ones are the Tasmanian ones, Linny. But, but without even realising it, we probably said, you know, kept, and they were doing this, even on a spiritual level, you could have done this in the ancient times. You might have said rabbi, teacher, prophet, all these sorts of things you might have said. But have a listen. Listen to where we finished today. There was a moment in Mark chapter 3, Four, verse 35, it says, On that day when evening had come, he said to them, Let us go across to the other side of the lake. And leaving the crowd, they took with him, they took with them in the boat just as he was, and other boats were with them, and a great windstorm arose. And try to picture this if you can. We're in the middle of the night. These guys are seasoned fishermen. These guys spend their lives on this lake. There are people today that still fish these same waters that are still afraid of the weather because in a heartbeat and at the turn of a coin, the weather can turn and whip the lake up very violently. Try to, try to grab hold of that. This isn't, I was out fishing for a moment and the wind got a little bit blown. That's not what's happening here. This is a mighty tempest storm. Uh, the, the particular Sea of Galilee was kind of like a tunnel with all the hills on one side and the wind would howl through there. Uh, this isn't, these guys weren't bronze medallion swimmers either. Not that that will really help you in this kind of weather. They were, 
They took with him in the boat, just as he was, and the other boats were with him, and a great windstorm arose, and the waves were breaking, not around the boat, they were breaking into the boat. So that the boat was already filling. But Jesus was in the stern, having a snooze. What are you, a Calvinist, Jesus? What's For those who know what that means... Every other person is sorely afraid. Other gospel accounts tell us that these guys were sorely afraid. But not as afraid as they're going to be. But he was in the stern asleep on the cushion. <laughs> Probably the only cushion in the boat to a bitch. And he woke and he, they woke him and they said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? Here's what they're saying. Do, do you not care? We're all going to die. The waves are coming into the boat. It's not a great way to fish if you're going to. 39, and he awoke and he rebuked the wind and the sea. And he said, Peace be still. What? And the wind ceased. And there was great calm. Imagine for a moment a raging storm and then in the blink of an eye, great calm. Not a breath of wind. Not a ripple on the water. I'm not sure how you would respond. See how the disciples responded. I think they got it right. He said to them, why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? And, and they were filled with great fear. Hey, hang on a second. The wind has stopped. The waves have stopped. They were filled with great fear. <laughs> and they said to one another, who then is this? Matthew chapter 8 says, what manner of man is this? Here's what the disciples are saying. We don't have a category for you, Jesus. You're other than us. I've seen rabbis before. I've met prophets before. We've heard of people being shielded and all of that before. But nobody's ever told the wind to be still. What category do you put him in? He's holy. When we use the word holy, often we use the idea that it speaks about moral purity. And in some places, that's what it means. But when it's in reference to God, it's speaking about being separate. It's speaking about being different. It's speaking about being other than. When something is holy, it is distinguished, it is separate. There's no category. These guys are in the boat and they're going, what category do we put this man in? What manner of man is this, that even the wind and the sea obey him? What happened in that moment was they saw Jesus. Notice none of them are talking about the miracle. 
None of them are going, hey, listen, you see that? They're all talking about the man. Fast forward a few chapters and, and these, these men, three of these men will see Jesus at the top of the Mount of Transfiguration which is a message for another day which was on Mount Hermon but, but on the Mount of Transfiguration this Jesus that they've walked with say, just like us seems like every other man but in a moment and in a heartbeat it says that he was transfigured. It says that he was metamorphosed. Metamorpho is where we get the word metamorphosis and in a moment and in a heartbeat Peter, James and John saw Jesus in all of his glory. Transformed their lives. My prayer. My prayer for every one of us is that Jesus would not merely be the man asleep on the cushion up the front of the boat but that we would see him like the disciples saw him and we would say, what manner of man is this? It's the kind of sight that only the Holy Spirit can give. It's the, only, it's the kind of disclosure that we need the Holy Spirit for in every one of our hearts. And you might be saying to you, how can we see God? Behold him. God has revealed himself and the Holy Spirit will come and disclose this wonderful, awesome God to us as we open the revelation. What, is, what did the writer to the Hebrews say in times past? God has spoken to us in divers' manners, but in these last times he has chosen to speak to us by his Son. I've said this before, but when you read the Gospel accounts, everybody that encountered Christ fell into one of three possible responses. The first response was they were either either deeply afraid of him and ran away from him, or they hated him and wanted to kill him. Or for those that saw him, they fell in love with him, were completely besotted by him and cast the fullness of their life on him. My prayer is you'll see Jesus. Let's pray. Father, we need to see more of Jesus. Holy Spirit, we need your help. Holy Spirit, you are the one that gives us eyes to see. Open the eyes of every one of our hearts. A thousand chains will dissolve. A thousand fears will be blown away. A thousand doubts will be resolved. For the heart that glimpses the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Father, if we are honest, we have surrendered our once lofty concept of the Lord of hosts. I pray that you would restore that to every one of our hearts. Help us to see Help us to know the Lord of hosts. Your wonderful name. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Rock Christian Church Podcast. 
to be notified when the next episode is available, subscribe on our website at therock.org.au. You can also connect with us on Facebook at The Rock Christian Church. We hope you have been blessed today and we look forward to you joining us for our next episode.